This is a reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, found on page 981 of the Pew Bibles and on the screens above. Hear these words from the book that we love. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is David, and I'm one of the elders here. Uh, today, we're going to be kicking off a short series uh, from our mission statement. Each of the elders is going to take one aspect of our mission statement and expand upon it in a sermon. Uh, we're doing this uh, between now and when Kyle gets back from his paternity leave. So live, speak, and serve. Uh, this t-shirt is from when we launched. It was a way for us to remind ourselves of the mission statement of this brand new church. It's a mission that we share across the Liberty Communion, and it's why we plant churches, to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Northeast Philadelphia and the surrounding area. So why do we think that we should or even can be the very presence of Jesus? Well, for that, we'll look to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what's known as the Great Commission. It's Jesus' final instruction and charge to his followers. Jesus gives us both the authority to act as his representatives, but also a command to make disciples. This is following a pattern that we see from the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, verse 26, quote, Then God said, Let man make us in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here we see that God has made us in his image, to be like him. We're called to join in creation. God doesn't want us to be passive observers. He calls us to do God-like things, as we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Scripture's a story of God calling broken people to join in his work of creation and redemption, not as a tool or an employee, but as a partner. Our mission statement is a way for us to contextualize this partnership. When I think about our mission statement, I often don't feel up to the task of being the very presence of Jesus. Um, however, in preparing for this sermon, I noticed something that I found encouraging. In the verse just before Jesus gave the Great Commission, it says this, but some doubted. 
The Great Commission, Jesus' last instruction for his followers, is also Jesus reassuring us, even those of us who doubt, that all authority is his and he will be with us. It's by remembering this that we can be the very presence of Jesus because he and his power are with us in all that we do. This sermon is heavily influenced by a sermon that uh, Jim Anger preached on the same topic a couple years ago. And he asked a great question to open his sermon. Do you believe that the world, what the world really needs right now is more Christians? That if only more people were Christians, the world would be so much better. If only more people were Christians, Maybe our kids wouldn't have to do active shooter drills in school. Maybe 350,000 people wouldn't have died in Ukraine. Maybe we wouldn't be in the middle of a mental health crisis affecting over 57 million Americans. If only there were more Christians. Maybe I'm a bit cynical, but that sounds a little like thoughts and prayers to me personally. And I'm tempted to respond something like this. The world doesn't need more Christians. It needs Jesus, who lived the perfect life we could never live, died the death we deserve to die. That's who the world needs, not a bunch of holier-than-thou Christians. Great. So that's not my problem, then. Jesus, could you please come and sort all this out? I think they need you, not me. Unfortunately, for cynical me, as Christians, we are the very presence of Jesus. We don't get to punt on this. That instinct that we have to look at ourselves and other Christians and doubt that we would really make that much of an impact, there's truth there. But that's just us coming face to face with our sin and doubting that Jesus is truly with us. But we must remember Jesus' words at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't get to keep our heads down and wait for Christ's return. We have to actively choose to be Jesus' presence for our neighbors now. This is why Liberty Northeast exists. This is why the Liberty Communion of Churches exists because our leaders, both here and across the communion, believe that the vehicle of God's rescue and redemption of the world is the Church of Jesus Christ. And so we move forward on mission. The mission of Jesus is good, and people need the message of Jesus. Because yes, what the world does need is more Christians. Specifically Christians that take our call to be on mission seriously. So what does Christian mission even mean? It means that there are some things that Christians need to say, telling our neighbor about Jesus. There are some things that Christians need to do, caring for the poor. Both of those things are incorporated into our mission statement. That's the speaking part and the serving part of our mission. But the first part of that mission statement is living as Jesus' very presence. This might feel a little like a filler word uh, to capture all of the things that we should be doing that aren't speaking or serving. 
but it highlights that Jesus' mission is deeper than just what we say and what we do. It's how we live. The mission of Jesus must affect, in a very deep way, how we live as his followers. And it should truly affect everything that we do. So let's do this. Let's unpack the idea of Christian living as Christian mission. As Jim read earlier, we'll be looking at Philippians 2, 14 through 18 today. But first, let's do a bit of a recap. It's always good to look at what's being said leading up to our passage. Uh, Paul opens Philippians with a very missional focus, talking both about his imprisonment as well as others that are preaching Christ out of their own selfish motivations. And the summary Paul has for those things is, quote, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul continues by encouraging the Philippians to, quote, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Verse 27. As we look at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul exhorts them to, quote, be of one mind and count others more significant than yourselves. There's a theme here that we shouldn't miss. Paul's calling for us to do the unexpected countercultural thing. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, and he doesn't tell the church to protest. He says, pray. People are preaching out of selfishness, and he says, don't worry. Jesus is still being proclaimed, even if it is for the wrong reasons. He calls them to be united in a culture that's divided and value others more than themselves. That's the what that we should do, but it still leaves us with a how and a why. To answer this, Paul gives us a beautiful poem about Christ. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that now, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is both the how and the why. We should look at what Jesus has done for us, be in total awe, and then respond in the power he gives us to be cultural outsiders that everyone wants as neighbors. As we get to our verse, we see a similar pattern. Quote, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Let that sink in for a second. Holding fast to the word of life, to Jesus crucified and resurrected, as revealed in the scriptures. So let's break this passage apart into a what, a why, and a how. What? Hold fast. We need to cling to Jesus. 
Look at who he is, the Lord of the universe, who looks at every man, woman, and child made in God's image and chooses us over himself, reducing himself to a human baby, fragile and helpless, so that he might grow in wisdom and knowledge, only to submit to a humiliating, painful, and terror-inducing death on the cross, all in pursuit of those who would mock him and laugh at his suffering while he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. This is the Jesus that we cling to. I don't have a chance of, quote, doing all things without grumbling or complaining unless I'm continuously remembering the cross. We must stay faithful and live obediently under Jesus. We cling to Jesus so that we can be more like him. We become like those we spend time around. Um, This is taken to the max in marriage. Um, I grew up in an old house, and we did a lot of work ourselves. This meant that if we wanted something, we had to learn how to do it and then make it happen. Brittany grew up in an 80s split level that looked basically the same as the day her parents moved in. So the only changes that were there were those that you could buy at the store. New appliances and curtains, but not much else. Over the time since we've met, we've both become a little more like each other. I've learned that sometimes you just spend the money. And Brittany, she demoed our bathroom to the studs while I was at church and she was pregnant with Leah. (laughs) So that's why we cling to Jesus, so that we can become more like him. We likewise get some context for the why in this passage. Let's go back to verse 15. That you might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're called to shine, and that has everything to do with mission. Scholars and commentators point out that Paul's alluding to a few Old Testament passages here. One is from Deuteronomy chapter 32. That's the fifth book in the Bible and is part of God telling his people how they should be before they enter the promised land. And the other is Daniel chapter 12, a book from the middle of the Bible that tells the Israelites how to be faithful while they're in exile in a foreign land. As the story of God continues from the Old Testament into the New Testament, Paul is reminding us that mission is about outsiders. Faithful mission has something to do with those that are outside the community of faith, not just those that are inside the community of faith. We can look at the passage that's alluded to from Daniel, Daniel 12, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. By our living, we are bringing the light of heaven to earth as witnesses to those around us so that they might know Jesus. It's always been this way. An early Christian apologist in the second and third century after Jesus, Marcus Manucus Felix, you gotta love those early Christian names, said this, Quote, beauty of life causes strangers to join the ranks. 
we do not talk about great things, we live them. And what Felix means here is that the beauty that others glimpse in the followers of Jesus is attractive and alluring. Not because they say all the right things, but because they truly live like the God they serve is alive and with them every day. We must live it out. And that's a life that's beautiful. A current Christian writer named Michael Goheen has written about this same reality. Quote, look back to the Hebrew scriptures. The Old Testament story is about how Christian living, whether Old Testament, New Testament, or today, showcases the beauty and grace of God to others. Abraham, his family, and the nation that will issue from him are chosen to participate in God's mission, to enjoy God's redemptive blessing, and to walk in the way of the Lord so that the nations might participate in that blessing. Whether for ancient Israel back then or for the church today, we're called to obedience so that others might also participate in the blessing of God. We're called to be a showcase people and also a preview people. Michael Goheen, one more time. Quote, the lives of Jesus' followers are to be signs of the kingdom, of the healing and liberating power of God breaking through into history. Since in the future, the kingdom is coming, our lifestyles should point forward as a sign of what's to come. Christians simply living out the Christian life are a preview of the coming kingdom, a world renewed and restored, when the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend and make all things new. We preview that reality in how we live under God with one another. Therefore, your living the Christian life is not about you. Does the world need more Christians? Well, surely the world does if Christians actually live as they should. As Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who would say we don't want people more like that? whether on the right or the left of the political aisle, here or abroad. Doesn't the world need more people that are filled with love and joy, choose others over themselves, bring peace while being filled with patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfully living out their convictions with gentleness and self-control? That'd be great. And that's what Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, offers. Everything that we do is lived before others and before a fallen world. Verse 15 again. That you might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This living before others is the presence part of, Jesus, of Liberty's mission statement. Living, speaking, and serving as Jesus' very presence. For Christians, a big part of our mission is Christian living. There's more to mission than this, but Christian living is Christian mission. Simple, humble, transparent obedience is a key to the mission of God for the world. And we should simply 
ask the question, are we doing that? Are we living for Jesus? If you name the name of Jesus as Lord, and you are simply, humbly, transparently living in deep, joy-filled obedience to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To put it in stark terms, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're living disobediently, if you're not living in alignment with your King, that's not only a failure of faithfulness, although it is, it's also a failure of mission. So how do we do this? What does it look like practically to live on mission as Christians? We should be cultural outsiders that everyone wants as neighbors. We've seen how Paul is calling the Philippians to respond in ways that only make sense from the gospel. Responding without grumbling or disputing makes us cultural outsiders in a culture of monetized outrage. We see in the book of Daniel that the Israelite exiles are called to maintain their identity as God's people, but also work for the good of the city where they are exiles, reminding us that our neighbors should be glad that we're here, even if we disagree with them. We should do this both as the church gathered and the church scattered. We can think about the church gathered as Sunday morning worship and midweek home meetings, and the church scattered as each of us as we go to work, get groceries, and live our lives. As a church gathered, we try to do many things that make us cultural outsiders. We practice membership. In a culture of the individual consumer, we not only ask you to commit to us as we commit to you, but we expect you to both regularly attend on Sundays as well as be involved in a home meeting and not only attend, but serve. We spend time with people that are very different than ourselves. All you need to do is go to a home meeting and you'll find just how different we are from one another. This last series was a great reminder of that for me, how we can be unified and love each other even while we disagree. I think my home meeting disagreed on something every week of that series. But because we're remembering Jesus' work on the cross, we can disagree and love each other. We also try to be generous. We seek to care for our neighbors. Um, we've given away more money than we've budgeted every year since the church has started. This is us trying to be a showcase people. We're trying to showcase the radical inclusion and life-altering power of the gospel. It doesn't mean we've gotten it all right, and it doesn't mean we will get it all right, but this is our mission and our goal. And if you, if you listen to that list and go, I don't think you're really doing it that well. I'd invite you to come join us and help. Help us figure it out. Help us work this out and seek to reflect God. As the church scattered, we talk with our cashiers because they're made in the image of God. We're quick to help our neighbors because we have all that we need from God and fixing our own problems can wait.
we avoid posting divisive things on social media because we already know how the story ends. With Jesus on a white horse victorious and a new heaven and a new earth where all things are made new. So we don't need to get all worked up over the latest outrage. And we do all these things with joy that passes all understanding, knowing that the God of the universe loves each one of us and is with us now and forever. Look also to the end of the passage. Quote, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. One of the core themes of Paul's letter to the Philippians is joy. You see it all over the place. It's a simple idea. Come to Jesus and share his joy, both between you and Jesus and among others as we collectively enjoy Jesus together. And what do you know? Joy can be considered a missional value as well. Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher in the 19th century and no friend of Christianity, said this once about Christians and how he thinks about them. Quote, Christians would have to sing better songs for me to learn to have faith in their Redeemer, and his disciples would have to look more redeemed. End quote. That's a fascinating statement from Nietzsche. It's like this. Nietzsche is observing, quote, okay, Christians are telling me that I need to come to Christ and believe in Jesus, but they're a miserable bunch. Their songs are lame. They don't sing or live with any joy. If Jesus is a redeemer, they don't live with anything more than what they already have. They don't act as if they're freed. And if they're redeemed, as if Jesus is the best thing ever, the best news, the best person in the entire world. So I don't see the Christians living it out with joy. And I'm sure I'm not going to do that either. Makes sense, doesn't it? Joy is a missional value. When was the last time you lived under Jesus in fullness of joy? We need to lean in. And that's why our communion of churches, the place we can best experience that joy, is in, that's why we're a communion of churches. The place we can best experience that joy is in communion with other believers. That's why the Liberty Communion has planted a lot of churches. We believe that the best way to bring Jesus' joy to a neighborhood is to put a community of believers who are living as cultural outsiders that everyone wants as neighbors right in the middle of it. As we continue to press ahead in living, speaking, and serving as Jesus' very presence, may we be proud to know that we have not run in vain, that we have not labored in vain, in every season, we press ahead, including this one, which is vital for this moment. We press ahead in planting churches, we press ahead in loving our neighbors, and we press ahead in love for each other because the world needs it and because God calls us to it. Amen.
I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray to close us. Lord, I just ask that you would be with us. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be able to be cultural outsiders and still be the neighbors that our neighbors wish to have. Lord, it's a high calling to be your presence in our neighborhoods. Um, and I pray that we would approach it humbly, um, but with earnestness, knowing that you are with us, your power is with us. Amen.